morning. Uh, welcome to Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's good to see you here. If you're visiting here with us this morning and you'd like more information about the church, please put your name and contact information in a book that's by the elevator right out here, and we'll get in touch with you with more information. A few announcements before we begin. Uh, please join us this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. for the prayer meeting, um, and that is still conducted through Zoom, so be on the lookout for the Zoom link and join us. That's 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, the ladies' Bible study will not meet until March 14th, so make note of that. Next week, following the morning service, is our congregational meeting, our annual congregational meeting. So please remember that and attend so we can have a quorum to, to make it official our, of our discussion and decisions there. That's next week. Please attend. Um, last week, the session met with Sergio and Esperanza Gomez, and we are delighted to have them join our church. And so on March 17th, Lord willing, we will be um, bringing them up here and having them take the membership vows and join our church. So that's March 17th. Please see the note about the Pregnancy Care Center in your bulletin, some items that they're interested in having. Um, and there, I think there's one more Table Talk magazine out there for free if you would like it. And uh, Marilyn Kell's contact information is also on the inside in your bulletin. And today, after the service, is the fellowship meal. So please join us for that, even if you forgot about it or, or you're visiting. We'd still like to have you attend. And so that's after the morning service. Let us worship the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Let's worship the Lord. The call to worship is from Psalm 106. The psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Let's bless and praise the Lord this day. Let's call upon him uh, together and seek his help as we come to do that. Let's pray together silently. Oh, Lord, our great God, give us hearts to praise you. Give us your spirit so that we can truly and sincerely give thanks to you for all that you are for us and all that you have done for us. You are so good, altogether good, altogether lovely. Your love is glorious your steadfast love that endures forever. We pray that you would make your great love for us known to each and every heart. 
We can't even grasp this apart from your spirit opening our blind eyes, opening our hearts to receive your love and to return love back to you. Lord, grant us your spirit. Change us. Meet with us. Uh, cause us to know you as we ought to, even this day, through the word of God as we hear it. And please bless our worship. We want to be glorifying to you and give you the honor and praise and love that you deserve. Help us, we pray. We ask all these things in your great and glorious Son's name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And let's stand together to sing praise to the Lord with our first song from the Red Hymnal, number 650. 650.
You may be seated. And now, let's hear the law of God from Exodus chapter 20. In the Blue Pew Bible, if you want to follow along, it's page 61. And we will read through verse 17. Hear God's law. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's law. The law is a summary of God's perfect, holy, righteous character. And in light of who he is, we see who we are. We see that we are sinners, that we cannot attain to that perfect standard of righteousness. We need his grace. We need to be forgiven for our sins. We need the Lord's pardon. And we are so uh, blessed to have that word of pardon. God not only gives us his law, but he gives us the gospel. He gives us his son who has accomplished a perfect redemption for us. He obeyed all God's holy law in our place so that we could be righteous in God's sight. And that is how he sees us now if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we have these words of the assurance of God's pardon from Isaiah chapter 40, 
verses 1 and 2. Hear God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Your sins are forgiven, believer, for Jesus' sake and what he has done for you. Amen. Let's turn now to um, Exodus once again, Exodus chapter 2, for our first reading. And this will be our sermon text. That's page 45 in the Blue Bible. Exodus 2, beginning in verse 11. God bless his word to our hearing. Verses 11 through 15. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Savior that is prefigured uh, here in this passage by the deliverer that, deliverer that you gave to Israel. You raised up Moses to uh, rescue them out of Egypt. And he is a beautiful picture of your eternal son who came into the world became flesh in order to rescue us from all our enemies, from Satan, from the world, uh, from our own sin. Lord, we thank you so much for raising up this great and glorious Redeemer. We thank you for your beautiful plan of redemption, sending him into the world we thank you how he took upon himself all the obligations of your law. And he carried them out fully in a perfect, beautiful, personal obedience. As a son to a father, he was obeying you and loving you perfectly with all his heart. And he loved his neighbor as himself. 
What a great and perfect Savior. And we thank you that he did all this to accomplish a perfect righteousness that could be credited to us, given to us as a free gift of your grace. We praise you that that is your plan in the gospel. You not only uh, forgive all our sins and you've blotted them out uh, because the Lord Jesus has suffered uh, for our guilt through his death and shedding his blood, but you give to us his perfection as a, a, a robe, as it were, of righteousness. That you look upon us now with perfect pleasure. You delight in your people who are in Christ, in union with him, in a saving, real relationship with your son. He is uh, our savior. He is uh, the bridegroom of your bride. And we thank you that he did this all um, because of his love for us and your love for us. Everything that he did shows us your heart for sinners. We thank you, Lord, that we, even as we come to know you and know your greatness and your glory uh, and your holiness, your perfect righteousness, we should fear you properly and reverence you. We don't have to live in abject terror of you because Jesus has taken away all the curse of the law all that condemnation that we deserved, there is no more condemnation whatsoever for us who are in Christ because he has borne it for us. Thank you for the Savior, Lord. We thank you that this was your plan. Thank you for your love that you lavish on us and will for all eternity. Please shed your love abroad in each and every one of our hearts. Father, we pray that you'd meet the needs of your church, build up the church throughout the world. We pray that the gospel would go forth today and uh, receive a, uh, a great hearing and that many would be saved and drawn to you. We pray that you would draw us to you and many more. We pray that if any are unsaved in our midst, Lord, that you would draw them savingly to faith in your son and into that uh, precious relationship with you. Father, meet the needs of your people who are suffering in different ways. We think of uh, those grieving. Think of Steve Muller and his family, um, the Keys, uh, Betty and uh, Debbie Bassett, uh, and so many others, Lord, who have lost loved ones. Uh, this life is so full of losses, Lord. It, it, it hurts us so much to think of the many losses that we've endured. Family members, loved ones, husbands, wives, parents, it breaks our heart, and we praise you that you will wipe away every tear. And we pray that you would even do that now by your Spirit, comfort our hearts who are grieving. We pray that you'd meet the needs of those who are uh, suffering with different illnesses. We pray for uh, those with infirmities and, and physical needs. We think of Betty and her upcoming shoulder surgery, Betty Keys. We pray that you would help the the doctors to do well and that the surgery would be effective and that she would have a, a quick recovery and be restored to full function. We pray the same for Yami as, as she continues to recover from her shoulder surgery, grant complete healing. Uh, we pray for uh, Heather and her upcoming surgery that you would uh, 
bless that with good skill on the part of the surgeon and a good recovery for her. We pray for Hannah Suki and her recovery after her surgery and uh, follow-up treatment. We pray that you would sustain her. We pray for Joaquin's mom and her surgery that she needs. Uh, please care for her and provide uh, all that she needs, strength and comfort. Draw her to yourself. We pray for Marilyn as she continues to heal from her fall and her fractured pelvis. Uh, and we pray for um, Amy Kel as well as she recovers from her surgery um, and uh, this removal of the cancer from her kidney. We pray that you would uh, help her with the complications that she's been um, undergoing, the pain that is still very severe, and uh, now um, problems with her vision. Would you please, um, as the doctors expect, would you please grant full restoration of her vision? Uh, we pray that you would uh, eradicate this cancer from her body and sustain her. We pray that you administer to her spiritual needs, above all, her need for you. Uh, we pray for Shannon and uh, ask that you'd provide for her a, a new job sh soon, Shannon McCubbin. We pray for Shannon Voller and ask that you would sustain her and meet her physical needs. We pray for healing for this, uh, this strange, stubborn illness that she has that doesn't seem to respond to anything. We pray for that young woman to uh, have relief from the suffering that she's undergoing. And uh, or we pray for healing. We look to you. You're the great physician. You can do anything. Nothing's too difficult for you. We pray for um, others in need, Lord, that you would uh, meet every need and draw them close to yourself. Lord, that's our greatest need, that we would be uh, people who know you and walk with you and know your great love for us. And know the joy of loving you. Uh, Father, we pray that you would um, keep us in your love, grow us in grace this day. Uh, and the many needs that we haven't mentioned, Lord, we thank you that you know them all. You're omniscient. You know everything. You know our hearts through and through. Uh, our deep needs, our griefs, our longings, uh, the things we've prayed for years about. Unanswered prayer, Lord. Hear us and help us. We thank you that we can cast all our burdens on you, all our cares, and you even command us to do that. We don't have to bear these things on our own. Um, it is your will that we would cast all those cares upon you. So we commit all these things to you uh, in faith. We throw them at your feet. We ask you to meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ and in your perfect timing. We ask all these things in your son's name your son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
love that song. I love that line. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Jesus befriends us. That was a point I really wanted to get to in the Sunday school lesson today. I ran out of time. We'll get there next week. Jesus befriends us. Think of the Savior that way. He's not just your Lord, your Savior. He's your most precious friend. Let's stand together once again and continue singing praise to this great God of ours. Number 695 in the red hymnal. 695, by grace I am an heir of heaven.
Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to our next scripture reading in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, page 976 in the Blue Bible, Ephesians 2. Very fitting passage to read after that hymn. For the next few weeks, we're just going to go ahead and work our way through the book of Ephesians, reading each chapter as our New Testament reading. Hear God's word, Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes by the inspiration of God's Spirit. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 2, and as we've been looking at it over the past few weeks, we see God's sovereignty being highlighted in these opening chapters of Exodus. God is sovereign. He is in control over all people and events. And we see him um, here in these chapters showing that, showing his sovereign power uh, even over human governments. God set this Pharaoh on the throne of Egypt, <clears throat> but he also frustrates the wicked plans of this man. And this should be very encouraging to us uh, in our day. Pharaoh represents human government uh, at its uh, most powerful. And yet, God had no trouble whatsoever overturning this man's evil plans. He even uses the weakest human instruments to do that. And in a way that's quite humbling, even humiliating to, to Pharaoh, it shows that he is not as great as he thinks he is. Uh, he viewed himself as a god. And God used these weak human vessels, uh, even women who were despised in that day, powerless women to undo these great plans of this king who thought he was so powerful. That should be encouraging to us, how we see God working in this way to undo the wicked plans of this governing um, uh, ultimate authority in that day. We should be encouraged by that because we live in a day when our government does all kinds of evil as well, all kinds of bad things, and many things that are just downright wicked and very disturbing. I don't remember a time in my life uh, where our leaders were doing such troubling and just outright foolish things. The evil and the, the, the power hunger that we see in our leaders and these political parties just never ceases to amaze me. And their actions 
course, cause us to be very disturbed, cause us to be very concerned about the future of our country and about the, the future of our families, our children, future generations. But this passage speaks to us, and it reminds us that God is on the throne. God is in control, and he is able to overturn the wicked plans of our rulers. And we can pray, and we can ask him to work in that way. We can expect him to work and to carry out his holy will for the good of his people and for the building up of his kingdom. That might not necessarily equate to the good of the United States of America, but we can trust that God will work and he will bring glory to himself. He will work for the good of his chosen people and for the church of Jesus Christ. As we come to verse 11 here in chapter 2, we see Moses is all grown up at this point. Many years have gone by. Uh, and like with Jesus, we would be curious to know what that upbringing was like. Uh, we're not told much about that with respect to Jesus, and it's the same with Moses. We don't know many of the details. But we do know that he lived as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. After his time with his own mother and family was up, after he was weaned, he was given to Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in that royal environment. And you can imagine, he had great advantages, uh, great learning, great training uh, that his family status afforded him. Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 uh, that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and deeds. Just one little sentence there, but it really tells us how privileged and how, um, how highly uh, trained this man was. That's about all we know of his young life. He was highly uh, privileged and became a great man among the Egyptians. But what's interesting is that Moses doesn't really care to tell us any of that here. He doesn't relate that. Uh, we learn that later in Acts. He doesn't tell us that here as he writes this book of Exodus. None of that really mattered to him or apparently to the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write these things. Moses, by the Spirit, just draws our attention to a few key incidents in his life here. And these were important, formative events in his life that prepared him for the work that God was calling him to do, to be Israel's deliverer, or at least the human instrument of that deliverance. As verse 11 opens, Moses knows at this point already, that he is an Israel. How he came to know that, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't like the Disney cartoon. But he senses, not only that he's, he knows that he's an Israelite, not only that, but he senses that he is called to be Israel's deliverer. And again, in Acts 7, Stephen fills in some of the blanks for us here. He says of Moses, when he was 40 years old, 
it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brothers, the Israelites, would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. So first of all, Moses, uh, we see that he was sympathetic to the plight of his people, to their pain, to their hardship and suffering. He cared about them. He wanted to deliver them. He wanted to be their deliverer. And he identified himself with them. At some point, he decided to just leave behind his status uh, and, and his royalty in that Egyptian family of Pharaoh. As the writer of Hebrews says, Moses chose to identify with his own people rather than to enjoy uh, the, the status that he had as an Egyptian, the luxury and the power that would have been his in Egypt. This is a beautiful example for us. Not to love the things of this world more than the things of God. That's very tempting to us. We fall in love with this world. But we need to wean ourselves from this world. We need to hold very loosely to the things of this life. And we need to learn to value God and his kingdom and his people above all else. That's where Moses was at at this point. He had kissed his worldly wealth and power goodbye, and he threw in his lot with his enslaved brethren. And he thought they would get it. He thought they would know, hey, here's our deliverer. Let's go. Let's follow him. But they didn't. His own people didn't receive him. At least not yet. Well, as the story goes here in this, this incident, Moses comes out one day to, to see his people and watch them at their hard labor, and he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And we're told he struck him down. He struck the Egyptian down. He hit his body in the sand. This probably was an Egyptian taskmaster probably beating the Hebrew slave as punishment. He may have been beating him to death. Either way, the Hebrew was suffering badly. It wasn't any kind of a fair fight at all. And when Moses saw it, he, he saw the injustice of this, and he was incensed, and he couldn't stand by and let this go on. So he stepped in, and he, we're told he ended up killing this Egyptian hid his body in a shallow, sandy grave. Many Christian commentators want to try to defend Moses' actions here, but this was murder. It was clearly murder, and it was unnecessary. 
He could have stepped in. Uh, he could have sought to protect that slave without killing the man. But he went too far, and he appointed himself judge, jury, and executioner. And he took vengeance on that man and ended his life. And he, he felt a sense of calling to be Israel's deliverer. And it's as if he thought, this is how it's done. But that was not God's way. Not through killing, not through violence. Israel's deliverance would not come by taking up arms against the Egyptians. Now, we need to learn something from this and can. We need to live carefully under the authority of God and the direction that he gives us in his word. That's how we need to live our lives. And we need to be careful not to deviate from that, not to go beyond it. Even if we see, um, like this uh, event shows, if we see terrible things happening in the world, we see terrible injustices or wrongs being done, we need to look to the Lord to right those wrongs in His way. Or we can take steps to go through uh, legitimate means that God has instituted to try to address things. There's legal system that we can use. There are governing authorities that can be appealed to, but we are not to take the law into our own hands in an unlawful way. And even if the system fails, as it often does, and injustices go unpunished, we still don't have the right to take the law into our own hands like Moses did here. We don't have the right to rise up and uh, lash out. And we need to let God be God. And God says, I am the avenger. And he will avenge all wrongs sooner or later. But that work belongs to him. Remember here, the work that Moses was going to be doing or used by God to do was the work of uh, redemption, the work of setting these captives free. And the work of redemption, too, belongs to God alone. We can't take that work into our own hands either. At times we try to do that. We may fall back into a, a, a fleshly reliance on our own works, on our own performance. Maybe we think that God will be pleased with us and love us more if we are better or if we do more for him. But that is a, a fleshly way of thinking. Salvation is all by God's grace. And it was that way for the Israelites. This would be God's work of redeeming them and bringing them out of that slavery, out of that terrible bondage. And it's the same way for us in our salvation. We are utterly dependent on God to do that work of grace in our lives, to send his son to accomplish redemption for us fully. 
And then he even has to send his spirit into our lives to apply it to us. We can't even take hold of it ourselves. It's all by his grace, as Paul tells us there in Ephesians 2. And we can't force other people to be saved, can we? Sometimes we'd like to, right? Some family members, I'd really like to just shake them into God's kingdom. It doesn't work. We can't force people to be saved. We can't force people to grow spiritually. We can't control those things. God is in control of those things. We can use the means of grace that God has appointed, the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ in particular, and we can use prayer and look to God to do that work of grace in their hearts. But ultimately, it's in His hands. We need to trust the Lord to do that work, that good work in us and and in others. Thankfully, He will often do that work in others through us as we share the gospel and pray for people. Well, Moses taking this into his own hands and killing this man was wrong, and he knew it. Uh, And we see that by the way he tried to cover it up. Tried to bury this man in the sand and hoped it would not be known, but it didn't stay hidden. In verse 13, we're told about the second incident that happened. The very next day, amazing how word gets out. The very next day, Moses goes out and he sees now two Hebrews fighting with each other. This time, there's no Egyptians involved at all. And Moses jumped in again in the middle of this situation, and and he confronted the wrongdoing. You got to appreciate the guy. He really wants to help. (laughs) He he intervenes. He's a mediator. He wants to, to right this wrong between these two Israelites. And And actually, this incident, I think, gives us a little better picture about the kind of salvation that the Israelites needed. It's the same kind of salvation that we need. They didn't just need to be saved from the Egyptians. They needed to be saved from themselves. We see that deeper problem here as these brothers, these Hebrew brothers, um, are, are, are going to violence with each other. And that's the sinful human heart at work. If only people could see their real need, their deep need for forgiveness of sin and new life, new hearts, Hearts that are full of love, love to God and love to your fellow man. Instead, it's so much easier to point the finger and blame the other person. Now, the problem is not the other person. The problem is our own sinful hearts. No doubt people sin against us, but uh, we ought not to focus on that. We do more than our fair share of sinning against others, and our sins against God are as high as heaven. Well, Moses quickly figured out what was going on here, which man was in the wrong. He's a peacemaker. He gets involved. He, he confronts the wrongdoer, and he said, 
why do you strike your companion? He's trying to make peace here among his two fellow Hebrews. Notice some things here about Moses. We see some some good things here, some things that characterize him already as a, a good, faithful leader. He sought to bring peace. He also took the side of the victim and tried to help him. He sought for justice. And he was trying to bring about reconciliation. He reminds these two men, they're not enemies. You're companions. You're fellow Hebrews. You're brothers. What are you doing? Well, these are all things that mark a good a good leader. And these are the things that all God's people, not just the leaders of God's people, should work for when conflicts arise. Should seek to be peacemakers. Sadly, though, the reality is very often the best efforts at peacemaking and reconciliation will fail. Very often they fail. And that's what seemed to happen here. The wrongdoer wasn't interested and peace. He never admitted his wrong. Instead, he just fired back at Moses in anger, and he questioned his authority to judge him. Who do you think you are? By the way, uh, I will say I can't help thinking that this sounds a lot like how uh, church discipline situations can go. And not only uh, conflicts that rise to that level, but conflicts between believers, uh, you've experienced it, I'm sure. You try to address a problem uh, that you see with someone or the way they're treating you, and it can be very sad. The person completely rejects uh, your efforts to try to um, bring about reconciliation and address the wrong. Instead of the person really examining him or herself and confessing their wrongdoing and turning away from it, they'll often refuse uh, and just reject what you're saying and end up attacking you for daring to try to address this issue, for daring to try to help lead them to repentance. That's very, very sad when it happens in personal relationships. It's definitely very sad. Uh, when it's a situation of church discipline and the elders needing to try to call a brother or sister to repentance. In this case, notice how this guy responded to Moses. He just verbally attacked Moses. He lashed right back out at him. He said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Not only that, then the man deflects the whole situation away from himself, and he, he scared the daylights out of Moses by, by revealing that the murder Moses had committed was no longer a secret. In fact, it was widely known. The next day, even, word had traveled. He said to Moses, Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? 
And Moses was afraid. He thought, surely the thing was known, has become known. So much for those efforts at reconciliation. That was all done. Well, maybe this whole incident was a hint of things to come for Moses. Being the deliverer of Israel was not going to be easy. His own people were not going to make it easy for him to help them. And if you know the story and how it goes, you know that's the case. That was the case. Later they would complain and complain against Moses. They would say, Moses, get out of here. You're only making things worse for us. The more you, you keep trying to deliver us, the, the worse things get. Moses, uh, Pharaoh's just ramping up his abuse more and more. And later still, after the exodus, they would continue complaining and complaining brutally against Moses, complaining about his leadership, complaining that he's not providing for them, wishing that they were back in Egypt as slaves again. Can you imagine? They rebelled and they were fighting against the, the good godly leadership of this man that God had appointed over them to help them. And so this here is just the beginning of what lies ahead for Moses. He was learning. It's not going to be easy to be a leader of God's people. Sometimes God's people make it a great joy, and other, others not so much. Sometimes you wonder if uh, people really are even genuine Believers in God at all, especially when that lack of repentance is there, turning on you instead of examining themselves. And of course, all this trouble that Moses was beginning to have is really a foretaste of something more. It's a foretaste, a foreshadowing of the sufferings of Israel's ultimate deliverer and ours, the Messiah who would come many centuries after this, our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Moses was rejected, so was Jesus when he came into the world. And he came to his own people as their savior. As Isaiah prophesied, it came to pass. The Messiah was despised and rejected by his own people. And yet he endured all that willingly so that he could bear our griefs and carry our sorrows and so that he could be crushed under the weight of our sins to save us from them. And that was God's sovereign plan. That Jesus would even be rejected by man, by his own people, so that you and I, who trust in him, would never need to be rejected by God. We need to be so thankful for this Savior 
and shepherd of God's people and our Savior. Be thankful for him and for all that he's endured for you. And trust in him. Let's trust in him all our days and and humbly follow him and submit to him. Submit to his will and his word always. He's so good to us. He's such a good Lord, such a good master. Very opposite of those harsh taskmasters who were beating on the Egyptians. Our Lord is a good, loving master. All that he does, all that he calls us to do in our lives is good and good for us. He's altogether good. Well, we'll pick up here with the the flight of Moses, the fleeing of Moses next Sunday, Lord willing. He goes into exile, as it were, and he's going to learn there in the desert what it means to be a shepherd and a savior for God's people. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign rule over all the powers of this world and over all the details of our lives. You are sovereign. We praise you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you um, came into the world and you suffered and you were rejected and you died even through your own people handing you over to death, all so that you could give us life, eternal life, which is knowing you, God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit. You have given that eternal life to your people who trust in you. And Lord, we praise you to be counted among that number. Grant that we would trust in you always, all our days, for our salvation and for all our needs. Do that good work in us through your spirit, strengthening our faith, growing us in grace for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by giving praise to him with our final hymn, number seven. 101 in the red hymnal 701 
our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.